You're listening to Seattle Real Estate Podcast. Rent growth is fostering big demand for bridge loans. All right, that might sound a little bit confusing if you're not if you're not a big real estate fan or finance person. Apartment rent growth in secondary metros has reinvigorated value add investors. What does that mean? Why do we care? Well, we care for a number of reasons. Apartment rent growth, rents going up. That's the basis for this one in a second in secondary metros. All right, so we're basically talking a secondary market where you've got apartment complexes that if they get a little bit of renovation, whatever, maybe you can bump those rents up. All right, yep. So we need some financing to get from where we are with the existing project to maybe to a point where we can bump those rents up. Uh, and that is reinvigorating value add investors. And those are the investors who are taking something and creating some value somehow, maybe they're buying it under market, and they're just going to take it and, and move rents up maybe along those lines. But more often than not, it's got to do with renovation, or redo or some kind of capital improvement, where you can justify saying, Hey, it was crappy, then it's nicer. Now, therefore, your rent is going to go up, or they're going to attract new tenants. That's what we're talking about today. And why do we care about that? Because rent is a huge factor in the real estate market and in our lives in general. So when you see rents going up, you're like, oh, Okay, why did that happen? Supply demand? Okay, yeah. But there's a whole bunch of other components of the rental market out there. And this is one of them. We're going to talk about it. Before we do, if you're new here, welcome. My name is Sean Reynolds. I own a couple of real estate companies. And I read the news from that perspective. All right, so let's do this. Value add apartment investors are back in action. I didn't know they were out. They're always they're always dabbling around out there. On the Reynolds and Klein side of things, we've done a ton of appraisals for value add investors, but typically up to like four units because we're residential, don't do a lot of commercial. Um, but they have not been out in Seattle. They've been going hard in Seattle, but in some other markets, you just don't have the demand to make it go. Here we are. And so they are having a uh, so the value add investors are driving a boom in the bridge lending market. What is that? All right, so you've got this property, it isn't to that point where you can refinance it or get a conventional loan based on the value of it being fixed up. Therefore, you get a bridge loan to get you there from where the property is now to where you envision it going and being able to do your permanent financing when it's all fixed up and you've bumped those rents up because that's value add. That, that, that's, that's the value you're adding. Therefore, rents are worth more. And a lot of folks get stuck in thinking, oh, if I just do this and this, my rent's going to skyrocket. I'm going to be able to charge way more. You got to do your homework. Got to do your homework because the market might only it might only allow a certain cap. There's always a ceiling of rents of what people are going to pay, and in, in most markets, in most specific markets, and especially most like sub markets, because they look around and go, "Well, I can get that unit for that, and it's a little bit less nice, but it's pretty close. Uh, I'm going to take that one." And so when you've got when you've got options, you're not always going to go for that super expensive one unless it's justified. So, and we're going to get into that in a little bit. As people traded urban living for secondary markets a little further out, 
including tech hubs, apartment rents in small metros and suburban markets climbed to record heights, and the trend hasn't stopped in 2021. So that is some of the secondary markets is a little bit further out, right? Rent growth has supported transitional business plans where sponsors are buying properties with the idea of investing additional capital into those properties or executing a rental increase plan. So what we're saying here is, yeah, we're going to fix it up and then we're going to charge more or (laughs) we're just going to buy it and increase those rents. That's an option too. If you're buying a property that you feel is low based on your market research, and that's a lot of what is in an appraisal, even on a residential appraisal of, of a four-unit uh, complex. It's a different appraisal form than single family. And a lot of it is you get into the income portion of uh, of supporting the value because people buy rental properties, specifically duplexes, triplexes, and fourplexes, which are all still considered residential properties for Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac-backed loans. Um, And I'm not going to get into that, but just know that you as a homeowner, you can go out and you can probably get a duplex, triplex or fourplex. Maybe you're going to occupy one of those units. You can do that or you can just buy one and not live in any of the units. You can do that after four units and five units. That's the break point. It's a commercial loan. It's a different deal. It's more expensive money. You got to have different criteria. You've got to have different income uh, qualifications. Um, it's just, it's a different market. So we're seeing a lot of bridge demand from borrowers that are executing those types of business plans, meaning you know, they're fixing up and then they're going to look for from permanent financing, or they're just going to go in, buy a property, bump the, the rents up. In the current market, value-add business plans are most viable for mid-tier investors focused on properties in the $5 million to $25 million price range and located in cities with strong rent growth. We tend to finance what we call emerging institutional sponsors, said Cohen. Those are middle market investors that have 10 to 15 projects under their belt that are worth somewhere around 5 million to 25 million total. So 10 to 15 projects, 5 to 10 million in the uh, properties, those properties are in that price range. The individual properties are five to 25 million and uh, the investors have 10 to 15 of those projects. There is liquidity to meet the demand for bridge loans, but Cohen says that it is limited, especially compared to other areas of the market like core and core plus investment. So we are talking about kind of a secondary market here. We're talking about a very specific market, which is and and some of that has to do with where people have gone for housing. They've gone out of the big cities. They've gone a little bit into the more suburban markets. And those suburban markets haven't necessarily been the hotbed of activity over the years. But as pressure comes out of other more core markets, it's got to go somewhere. And it's going to these markets. And what we're saying is that there is an opportunity here, not only for the investors, but for the lenders themselves to provide bridge financing on these types of properties. It's kind of a specific, it's a pretty specific thing, pretty specific kind of market. But what it shows is that we think rents are going to go up for a while. That's what we're talking about here. And one of the things that I always pay attention to is when you see something in the media, oftentimes, 
that's kind of the end of the run. Because by the time it gets recognized as a thing, as a trend, it's kind of run its course. You know what I mean? I mean it's just, it, it just has. Liquidity in this area, that's not to say that it happens all the time, but I'm always aware that when I'm doing a podcast on something that looks like a new and crazy concept that I need to share with you, because we need to know, we've got to get to the bottom of it. What's going on? What's happening? When you see that in major media, that's kind of an indication of you're last to know. Because if major media caught it, it's like, all right. So if those guys know, then this trend is over, it's done. Because oftentimes, a lot of the stuff I'll report on is stuff that I see happening in my businesses. And I know what's going on. And you're not going to see it in the major media, because major media just takes a long time to kind of pick it up. One of the stories that I was kind of annoyed with uh, recently was the whole WNBA parade. I don't know if you guys saw that. But I was watching I was watching a number of big names covering this story, conservative folks covering this story. Everybody loves, I mean, ripping on the WNBA is basically just a sport in and of itself, right? Norm MacDonald, who recently passed away, he made a career out of ripping on the WNBA. And my whole thought is if you're into if you're into women's basketball and that's your thing, go enjoy it, have fun, enjoy it. It's a different market than men's basketball. One of the things I heard Ben Shapiro say that was very interesting was, you know, when somebody in the WNBA dunks, it it makes news. It's like a big thing and you watch a clip. Now, when a ninth or 10th grader in high school dunks in a game, a boy, nobody says anything. So you've got professionals dunking on one hand and you've got high school kids, young high school kids dunking on the other hand. It just kind of goes to show the level at which those two games are played. They're different. They're wildly different markets. But if you want to support the WNBA, I think you should be able to. I don't know. I just don't. I don't really. It's not a big deal. The WNBA is never going to be as popular as the NBA, just at the level of athleticism that the game is played at. It's just wildly different markets. It's a different business plan. It's a different. It's a whole different thing. But with the recent Chicago, um, man, I forget the name of their team. Sorry about that, Chicago. You guys won the WNBA championship. Um, and I can't remember the name of your team. That sucks. But what I saw was a lot of these guys focused on this, this, uh, the parade after the game. And there was nobody, you know, there was like four or five of these you know, open uh, buses going by with all the players and the teams and there was nobody on the streets. All right. But what they did is they just clipped like a 30 second clip coming down an area of the parade. You know, at the beginning of the parade, everybody's just all worked up and you're sending off the parade and it's great. You've got that whole thing going on. But then in the middle of the parade, you've just got these areas where there's just not a lot of people. It's like not that important of an area along the route. And then at, then at the end, you've just got this massive celebration. Well, the WNBA, it doesn't attract as many people. There's not 100,000 people at the parade. But at the end of the parade, there was like 5,000. It was a decent parade. But what the media did is they clipped the 30 seconds where there was just like nobody on the sidewalks on the street. There was nobody. And they showed that as being 
the parade. At the beginning of the parade, yeah, there was a lot of people. I mean, you just you just got to hunt around for videos and you can see that. If you focus on that one little segment, it looks like nobody's attending the parade. And that just wasn't true. It's just not reality. And so a lot of the media, even if it's, you know, conservative or maybe a little right of center, you just got to watch out and kind of kind of do your own due diligence. Because when you've got the WNBA and you're seeing a clip of like nobody at the parade, you're like, that, that can't be, that doesn't make altogether sense. And it didn't. But you had so many people out there saying, hey, this is the deal. This is what's going on in the WNBA. It's terrible. It's, you know, it's, it's awful. Um, it's, it's a different market. And, you know, if Chicago can win a WNBA championship, I say, let them celebrate, let them do their thing. Ripping on them in the media about not having enough people at their parade. That wasn't entirely accurate. So let's be fair, because here on the Seattle Real Estate Podcast, we are more reasonable. And some of these stories, you know, if it bleeds, it leads. And if nobody's in the parade, it just looks like, oh, look at them. They're horrible. And that just wasn't the case. And yet, that's how it was. That was how that's how it was portrayed. So I, I just kind of want to talk about that and the media for just a little bit. Um, I don't know where I got off on that tangent, but we did. So the back to our regularly scheduled program, there is liquidity to meet the demand for bridge loans. But Cohen says that it is limited, especially compared to other areas of the market like core and core plus investment liquidity in this market, particularly for non recourse loans. Yeah, can't foreclose on them, or you just don't have the ability to go back on the owners um, in the same way that you might on a recourse loan. It's not as deep as in the institutional market where you are, where you've got financing from the secondary market. This is a niche market. You've got individual private money. And this is where we think that we believe we can add a lot of value compared to debt funds and institutional investors. That's why we play in that space. So right now, there's opportunity in that space because investors can investors of the property have got room to go on their rents. That's the play here, right? They think, okay, rents are still going to keep going up. And in that case, we've got room to take it from this value to this value and make it happen. For that reason, securing a bridge loan on a value-add deal takes a strong business plan. Well, anything that's going to be successful needs a strong business plan, right? I can't tell you how many appraisals I've done over the years where there wasn't a strong business plan. And by that, I mean homeowners who just think, well, you know, I got three kids now and we've got a two-bedroom home. Let's just add two more bedrooms in this home to this home in this neighborhood and it'll all be good. It'll be just like a four-bedroom home. What well, is a four-bedroom home in a neighborhood, in a market where it caps out at two bedrooms? Now, there's not a lot of those around, but I'm throwing that out there as an example. A more realistic example is you've got somebody who's got a four-bedroom home and they convert the two garage stalls into two more bedrooms. Now you got a six-bedroom home with no garage. That's not a strong business plan because the market dictates we want four bedrooms and we want two garage stalls. They're still going to put all their, their personal crap in the garage stalls and they're not going to use it as a car storage, 
but they want the option to do what they want with their own stuff, right? So you got to have a strong business plan and more importantly, a realistic gauge of rent growth in the market. So on the duplex, triplex, and fourplex uh, appraisal, it's all the same form. Um, you have the estimate of market rents. And oftentimes, property owners will say, well, you know, I can get this for my units. And then you look around and you, you do a quick search in the MLS and see what other units have rented for. And it's wildly different. Because everybody thinks that their house, their property is worth more because it's always the greatest one on the planet. Always. Everybody's perspective is, you know, their home is their castle. And why wouldn't it be the greatest home on the planet? It just is. That's just how people approach things. They never it's very rare when somebody goes, Yeah, I've probably got the crappiest home on the block. Yeah, This really sucks. It needs a lot of work. Yeah, this plumbing over here doesn't work. The roof is shot the windows, all the seals are blown. Nobody ever says that they point out the good things because that's that's what they want you to see because they know that your perspective as an appraiser, if it's more positive, the value is going to be higher. So Cohen is bullish on long-term rent growth. And that's why we're talking about this. You got to have long-term rent growth in the positive for this type of lending to make sense. So Cohen is bullish on long-term rent growth, but he also doesn't expect the same rents to increase at the same velocity as they have for the last year. I believe that's true. I think we don't have a full accounting for where we sit with rents right now. I think it's going to take into well into quarter one of 2022 to kind of get a full perspective, get that bird's eye view of, oh, what did rents do? And we'll see some stuff in the media by then. And we're seeing it now. We know rents are going up. At, at what velocity? I think it's higher than what we're recognizing. Um, and why do I say that? Because some of the things I've seen with specific projects that I know of or look around at, I'm like, whoa, a thousand bucks a month rent increase when you started off at 14, 1500. Those are some of the things that I'm seeing that I'm like, well, that is not sustainable for a long time. So he doesn't expect the same rents to increase at the same velocity as they have for the past year. Rents will still go up. And I think home prices will still go up but they can't continue to go up at the level or the velocity they have been because we've just been in this we've been in this bubble I don't think it's going to burst but it's a bubble and it's not a sustainable increase in either values or rent it's just not sustainable people's incomes aren't they're not catching up they're not increasing at the same levels so borrowers need to understand the rent growth story in the submarket where they're operating you gotta know what's going on if you're going to play this game. And every time there's a downturn, a, a, a swath of investors gets taken out. It just happens every single market shift. You're like, oh, there goes that client. All right, there goes that client. Well, they biffed it. And after a while, as an appraiser, as the owner of a small business, you understand, okay, I'm going to take on him. That guy's doing a lot of volume. He's doing a lot of loans. He's going to send a lot of appraisal orders. But his business model, it's pretty shaky. He takes a lot of risk. I don't want to I don't want to have a bunch of invoices with him outstanding when the market shifts just a little bit and his margin gets taken out. And he's like, Sean, sorry, can't pay you. I'm going out of business. Bye. Click. You know, and I exaggerate on that. But it has happened. Um, we usually don't get too far out on on invoices owed by clients. 
And then I cut them off because uh, why in the world do you want to do work for somebody who isn't going to pay you? This is not a hobby. Wish it was. Yeah. But if it was, I'd probably go get a different hobby. I would take up surfing or something, you know, something more healthy than clunking away on writing up appraisals. And so they need realistic pro forma rents. Pro forma meaning what is the market saying rent for your unit is? What's it indicating? Pro forma. What does the market dictate? Based on the marketplace, how much could you get for rent for, for your unit if it was vacant, ready to roll, out the door? And you have to have, and with realistic operating expenses, people want to just ignore all those expenses. All right, so you're going to have to replace the carpet. Yeah, but not for a while. I mean, it's good for now. All right, but every year you need to attribute a little bit of money, put a little bit of money in savings because when that carpet bill comes out, you're going to have to pay for it all right then. Same with plumbing, same with electrical, same with roofing, siding, windows, paint, landscaping, all that good stuff that comes with um, with with owning real estate. Doesn't matter what it is. You got to deal with it. So you got to have realistic rents what it's going to rent for, and then also realistic operating expenses account for everything. And those are a lot of the figures that we work on on the appraisal end of things. And so we will, and, and that's what we're doing. We are, you know, for a client, we're telling a client that is going to be lending money on the property. All right, here's what you can expect. Here's what we think you can expect. We're a disinterested third party giving our opinion all right, this is what we think the units are going to rent for based on market data. And based on market data, here's operating expenses. This, if you know, from past appraisals on other similar properties, this is what we know operating expenses are within this marketplace. Here's what we think the property is worth based on this, or here's what we think the rents are going to be. And here's what we think the operating expenses are going to be. And we, uh, we do those on what the form, it's called an operating income statement part of an appraisal. If you buy a duplex, triplex, fourplex, you'll get an appraisal and you'll have an operating income expense uh, statement typically in that report. So rising interest rates, which many experts have come to expect could derail the activity in the value add market. All right, interest rates have bumped up, they just have. However, Cohen says that the foundational supply demand imbalance in multifamily will keep fueling rent growth, serving as a strong counterbalance to rising interest rates. What does that mean? Well, you got interest rates going up and normally that would put a damper on rent growth and property values, but you've got such a lopsided supply demand imbalance, not only in single family housing, but in multifamily housing as well, that that's gonna outstrip any negative impact of the interest rates. And so it, it provides the counterbalance I still think rents are, it's, rents are going to go up, just not as fast. And that's what these lenders and these investors, that's what they're counting on is, all right, we've got opportunity down the road because these rents, we pro we're projecting these rents are going to go up or have the ability to bump rents up based on capital, whatever capital improvements they're doing. So the market is closely watching interest rates and conventional wisdom would suggest that a rising rate environment and rising inflation would put negative pressure on asset prices. But I think there's a fundamental story here that will continue to support asset growth, particularly in emerging markets for the next two years, says Cohen. We feel very good about 2022.
that's how the that's how the article ends. All right. So what does that mean? I think it means that you can expect to see continued rise in rents, no matter what the market is, because of said imbalance in supply and demand, you just don't have enough properties to go around in most major markets. Um, single family, same thing. Now you've got some sub markets, you might say, well, I live in this city. And you know, I, I see tons of for sale signs around. You've probably got an economic anomaly going on, like you had a big factory get shut down or something along those lines. Uh, in a big employment center, uh, an employment center is shifting, a market is shifting, something like that going on. Because across the country, essentially, we've had a we've got a shortage of like, 5 million single family homes. So people that would have bought a single family home or would have rented a single family home, they're in multifamily housing, maybe meaning a big apartment complex small apartment complex, something along those lines, but not a single family home. And so, you know, market pressure is on everything in the in the housing pipeline in general. And I think that's why a, a lot of the the super low end properties have been taken out of the marketplace because that now they are like mid tier properties. And that's why you've seen a rise in homelessness as well as a lot of these cities just basically giving uh, folks the option to live that lifestyle and, you know, basically provide them everything they need to live a lifestyle where you don't need to really have a roof over your head. And you can still kind of survive instead of trying to get back on your feet and get things going again. We see that a lot here in Seattle. Now, has that happened? Um, the taking out of the low end of the housing market. It's just it's a supply and demand issue. And unless you are building affordable housing, that's going to stay affordable housing. It, that, that just doesn't seem like that's happening. And that's just not happening. All housing that's being built is basically being rented on the open market and open market rents are outrageous right now. So that is why this article says it's it ends with we feel very good about 2022. And you might say that is some smug suited up investor. And you'd probably be right. But you know, that guy's got to make money too. He's got to, he's got to pay for his Ferrari, he's got to pay for his house in the Hamptons. I mean, I saw Alec Baldwin, he's in, embroiled in that hole. He, you know, he, killed somebody on a set and got handed a gun as part of a as a prop, killed somebody horrific. And people, you know, Candace Owen came out and said, Well, that's what he gets for making fun of Trump. All right. Yeah. And then she had conversation with Baldwin's daughter. That's the that's the Twitter stuff that I just don't want to get involved with, right? But at the end of the article I read this morning on the Alec Baldwin deal, He's currently residing in his house in the Hamptons as he lets things settle down. It's like, how privileged are you when, you know, when you have a second or maybe a third house in the Hamptons and, you know, you're just going to go there to chill out because things are just so overwhelming for you. For Alec Baldwin, I mean, that guy's a stud actor. I don't care what you say. He's been in a lot of great movies. He's probably a jerk, but he's a good actor. So, and here on the Seattle Real Estate Podcast, we're reasonable. We call it the way it is. And I think he's a great actor, which is probably why he his roles are, he plays 
a little bit of an abrasive character at times. Let's just say that. So do I feel very good about 2022? Yeah, I do. I don't think the real estate market is going to crater. My issue is that things can't can't continue to skyrocket at the levels they have been. So talking about the commercial markets, super important as well, because that's where maybe you've got kids, maybe you've got grandkids, folks who can't yet afford a single family home. That's where they're gravitating to because that's what they can afford is an apartment in a big complex, something along those lines, because every single family home has been taken up by people who want to be buying but either are getting priced out or are too frustrated because the, you know, multiple offer situation and the bidding wars has just gotten wildly outrageous. Now that is slowing down. And with the bump in interest rates, that's going to slow down as well. But I think come quarter one of 2022, we're, we're off to the races again. Um, unless interest rates keep going, you know, at the rate that they're going up, but I think they'll bump back down. Um, we haven't seen the Fed really start to enact any tapering. That's that's going to happen. That's why some of the rate increases you're seeing are, are happening now because it's already been priced into the market. This is what's going to happen. By the time, you know, the media reports this stuff, it's already most of the time been priced in. So it's only when something really comes out and rocks the market that things are like, oh, wait, what happened? Like the coronavirus in January and February of 2020. I don't know if you remember watching that. That was insane. We had we had uh, we had business news going t- you know twenty four seven at the office. Not twenty four seven because I don't really work that much. Um, but watching some of the gyrations of the marketplace back then because you had something that was unexpected, a little coronavirus action. You've been following the stuff about Fauci and the National Institute of Health and the whole Wuhan deal. Whew. Wouldn't want to be Fauci right now, but I think he's going to be fine because he seems to get protected on all this stuff. All right. That's it for me on this one. That's how I'm going to end. Talking about Fauci on the hot seat. Yeah, I think so. All right. So don't believe everything you see in the media. Do your own research. Think for yourself. That's how I'm going to end today. All right. Thanks again for being here. We'll catch up soon. Till then, stay safe. We'll talk again very, very soon. Bye for now. Don't forget to subscribe to our channel and hit the notification bell so you'll know when our next video is out.